Welcome to Diversity Dish, where we're dishing on everything diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice related. My name is Cedrola Maruska, and we're bridging the gap between what needs to be said and what needs to be heard. Those individual experiences that are often ignored or simply dismissed. Sometimes I'm dining alone. Sometimes I'm dining with friends. And sometimes I'm dining a la carte. No matter how I'm dining, it promises to be delicious. Let's dig in. Renowned speaker, author, and equity consultant, Dr. Nancy Doan, co-founded APOC Education in 2014 to provide leaders in education and business with accessible professional development in diversity, inclusion, and belonging and equity. As an educator for nearly three decades, Dr. Dome taught in the juvenile court and community schools teaching our most vulnerable students and has served as a distinguished teacher in residence and faculty member at California State University, San Marcos. Her transformative approach helps school districts and educational agencies throughout the country navigate complex topics, build bridges, and work together for inclusive, impactful change. Welcome back to Diversity Dish. I am so excited you came back because my guest today is Dr. Nancy Dome. How are you, Nancy? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so happy to have you here. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Oh, thank you. So we know that on Diversity Dish, we talk about all kinds of things related to diversity, equity, inclusion, and we can get into all of that. But usually the first question that I ask that I'm going to ask you leads us straight into the conversation we need to have. And that question is, what are you most passionate about right now? Wow. Right now, I would say that my passion really lies in trying to figure out how to heal our wounds in this country, you know, and, um, you know, it seems pretty lofty, like this big goal. And I, but I really feel that it's our everyday little acts that will begin to do that. And the work that we do, a lot of our, I think our dis-ease in this country lies from our untold history, the, the lack of acknowledgement, you know, the lack of, of healing, the lack of information. And so my goal and my passion is to really kind of fill some of those gaps and, and inform people so that we can grow together because this myth that we are separate and that we are not connected to each other mm. um, is just that. And I think that it, it needs to become more mainstream understanding that we are actually dependent on our, um, our relationships together to, to survive. I absolutely love that because I absolutely think exactly that. Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, especially as a practitioner of equity and inclusion, Mm -hmm. I think all the time that there are things that if we're not facing them, if we're not looking at them, if we're not confronting them and saying, this is what happened and this is why this is the way it is today, we cannot fix the way it is today because we don't know what the root cause is. It's like going to the doctor and saying, I have this pain. And the doctor says, okay, take an Advil without ever thinking about or looking into what the root problem of that pain is. Right. allows it to fester it allows it to grow and then it allows it to take over the organism right absolutely Um, and that treatment i mean to take it to the next levels that advil is only treating the the symptoms but it's not getting to the root cause so you know and i think that we see that all around we we see the symptoms we're putting band-aids over everything and we're the band-aids are we're not going to talk about these things you know we don't want to make our kids feel uncomfortable but that discomfort is actually what what ties us to our humanity right um yeah understanding that you know something's got to be different we don't want to repeat this so Yes, and understanding that, that not repeating it means that you understand how it happened. And so now you're not going to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we say that history repeats itself, mm-hmm. we say that because 
if we are not willing to look at what happened in history, we won't learn from it. And so we're going to, we're bound to repeat it for sure. Um, So how is it that you, how, how do you uh, put this work into the world? How, what is it that you do? Well, you know, I, I started off as a, as a childcare worker, uh, working with um, kids that were taken out of their homes from Child Protective Services, and I kind of found my way into education. Um, and I, I always knew that, you know, like education and knowledge w- was really, truly power, you know, especially for our marginalized groups of kids, you know, the, the access. I, I literally remember um, I worked in National City, which is um, like South San, South, South San Diego. Um, it's right about you know 15 minutes from the Mexican border, and I worked in alternative ed. And I remember talking to my kids, and you know they have one of the most beautiful beaches in the state, mm. less than 10 miles away, and they had never been there. Mm. right and so you think about and then you got people coming in from all over the world to go to these beaches in san diego and the kids who live in these communities cannot be there and and that got me really thinking about access and opportunity like and and who has it and how do we ensure that all kids have it so my work kind of evolved from that and what came out of it was this protocol called compassionate dialogue because what i realized is if we want to see change, we have to be able to have difficult conversations. Like, you know, because change is not easy. It's not comfortable. It's not nope. fun, but it, it, we're looking at the end product, right? So it's just like anything. If you're an athlete, you know that that training is going to prepare you for your performance, right? Mm-hmm. And that training is going to be super uncomfortable, but if you don't do that, you're not going to perform. And it's the same thing. Like we have to lean into this discomfort. And what I realized was that we were really lacking the skills and the tools to do that. You know, too much of us taking things personally and, you know, and internalizing things or being conflict avoidant because, you know, we've been conditioned that we don't talk about race. We don't talk about religion. We don't talk about politics, but, you know, you've just named three of probably the most important things in my life mm-hmm. and I'm to talk about those. And so the protocol was kind of hatched out of this desire to interrupt microaggressions and kind of systemic issues that perpetuate these inequities that we see. And so it started off with what we call the RIR, which is recognize, interrupt, repair. And it was just kind of um, a strategy to lean into that discomfort. And then probably about, I don't know, seven years after I was kind of developing the protocol, I realized that RIR without compassion could just be another bad conversation, right? And (laughs) so- And so that notion of layering compassion and a desire to understand each other, even if we don't agree, and to be willing to engage, even when we think we have nothing in common, and to lean into that space to to allow ourselves to be kind of wowed and mystified at what the connections we can find when we do take that risk and engage with each other. And so that's been that kind of shifted our DEI work and it became the pillar that all of our work um, kind of comes out of. Yeah. I love, I love everything that you said, so much of what you said, and it's just so much information there that you shared. Uh, And it's because it's so, it's so vital Um, when you're talking, you know, when you're talking about having conversations, when you're talking about finding common ground, when you're talking about, having compassion all of these things resonate so much with me and i hope that they resonate with those who listen also because they're so vital one of the reasons i started the podcast was because i wanted to have conversations where people were able to share their experiences share what it is what they what their walk is and that so someone can listen to those conversations without having to feel as if it's directly toward, directed directly at them so that they can then kind of process the information and say, oh, you know, this happened, I heard about this, or someone that I work with said this same thing. It's one of the reasons that this podcast exists yeah. to have, so that to, to generate some conversations or even some thought around the whole thing. And when we talk about compassion, Compassion is an action word. I think people don't realize that compassion is not, it's not the same as uh, feeling sympathy or empathy. 
Right. Compassion compels you to do something about what it is that you see. And that is so important for people to understand as well. When we're asking for people to be compassionate towards others, we're asking them to see and then to help do something, be help, be inclined to do something about what you're learning, what you're understanding, right? So a question that kind of came up for me in, in what you were talking about is you're saying how we should, we need to come together, we need to have these conversations. And like when we're working out, we we may not like the workout, but we have to see the goal at the end. What do we do when the goal isn't seen? Like people don't see the goal at the end, but all this work still needs to be done and still needs to be you know, perpetuated so that we can reach the goal that some people see and one that other people do not yeah. see. You know, that's a great question. Um, and I, you know, I think one of the things about the protocol too, people always say, well, you know, what if the other person, you know, doesn't do it? And I was like, well, it's, that's the beauty of it. It's, it's not dependent on the other person even knowing it exists, right? It's how I choose to show up in the world, right? So if I choose to show up, and even if we don't have a shared goal, but if I choose to show up, with you in compassion, seeking to understand you and understand your perspective, even if I don't agree, then we can find some common ground. And that mm -hmm. is assuming that, you know, we're, we're relatively reasonable. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, extreme people who are just kind of, I, I won't say built, I think, I think that they've somehow been um, indoctrinated to hate, right? But but for people, you know, for, for the average, you know, kind of person who, you know, is, is feeling like they're divided, feeling like they got to protect themselves, but, but really our deep desire is to be connected. I just cannot believe that. And when you are allow, allow yourself to be vulnerable and to kind of seek that connection, then you can open up to hearing other things. I, I think that we have been so kind of conditioned away I from hearing things that don't resonate with us, right? And, mm. and I'll take it further. So I, I was watching a thing, I think it was like Reagan's, I forget who he was talking to, but they were, it was a debate and, you know, but there was so much respect in the room, like, and, and I'm, I'm not a Reagan fan, but this idea of two people with opposing views, having respectful and even humorous time conversation. And then we see what it's kind of devolved to today. Mm. And we just, and now we can choose our news outlets so that we're just force fed the same message every day. And I'm not just, I'm not speaking just of, you know, kind of right wing. I'm talking about everybody. Like I choose my institutions that provide me information. And so I really have to actively look elsewhere to hear a different opinion, just so that I remain open. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's sometimes hard. I'm not saying it's easy because sometimes the things I'm hearing, I'm like, seriously, but I feel like if I if I'm not willing to practice what I teach, then I'm a hypocrite, right? <laughs> so this idea that we have to get used to renormalize our ability to hear things that you know don't seem right to us, but in hearing that, we can seek to understand where might that come from. Because what I know for sure is that every single person has had a lived experience that has put them on the path that they're on, right? Yes. And and my lived experience is no more valuable or important than yours. Mm -hmm. And if we can show up that way, then that means that even if we disagree, I still can respect that you've had an experience that brought you to where you are. Absolutely. I think that it's the, you know, when you talk about the mutual respect, the ability to respect someone else's opinion without devolving into you're wrong, I'm right, but right. into more of a, I hear what you're saying, this is my view on it. Mm -hmm. And understanding that you have the right to see yours yours just as i have the right to see mine is right. so important and yes our lived experience every person's lived experience is valid i know one of the arguments is always is that well when we talk about white privilege or when we talk about the the things that people can have based on their skin color or not have based on their skin color and someone says, well, I don't have any white privilege because I was poor and I was this and I was that. And the thing is that 
we're not saying that all of those things are not true. But what we are saying is that there is a system in place that when you overcome those things, just as someone who is black can overcome those same things, there's still another layer there that you do not have to contend with that other people of color do have to contend with. That is, you know, that's just the the simple, as simple as I can put it, right? And understanding, like you said, that we have, we have so much more in common Mm -hmm. than we don't, you know, religions have so much more in common than not. They, they, they all have the same underlying concepts of Mm -hmm. loving each other, respecting each other, you know, caring for each other. And yet, and yet there's so much conflict and it just, it, it, it blows, blows my mind. (laughs) It's true. It's true. You know, one of the things when you were talking about the the idea of white privilege and, you know, I grew up poor, one of the questions I asked, you know, through the protocol, when I hear that is like, is there any other privilege you can think of uh, other than financial like growing up poor that's one aspect of privilege and and the fact that you grew up poor doesn't you know eliminate the other things that you experience and it's not by any any like choice of your own and 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 that's the biggest part is that 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 we have to depersonalize that connection so that people understand that when we're talking about white privilege we're really talking about white opportunity we're talking about an opportunity that is not afforded to other people who don't share that thing and so while you can be poor there's still other privileges and opportunities that you're given even you know if you're poor and so this this idea of really trying to get to the heart of it but do it in a way where I don't want to say do it in a way, but because I don't want to dictate the way people do it. But how do we ensure that people can hear the message, right? Yes. And, and if you know to keep kind of, it, it's like hammering that same thing. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat you over the head until you get it. Well, like, <laughs> it just doesn't work. It just you know, and especially I'm stubborn. So you you hit me over the head too many times. I'm dug in, and I'm gonna start. You know, so this idea that we we just have to figure out how to communicate and help each other see that you know together that that kind of goal out there that says you know our survival depends on us being able to collaborate yes and that is and that is very key right our survival depends on us being able to collaborate right because we are all on this big marble that's just floating around in space and you know, this is the home that we have, and this is the home that we need to protect, yeah. and and the, and we need to be able to coexist with yeah. each other, right? So, yeah, absolutely. You know, in the work that I do, when we're going all through the work, it it never ceases to amaze me how there are how how lived experience comes in, and it can blow anyone's mind, mm-hmm. right? Anyone's different lived experience can blow anyone's mind. It's like, oh my gosh, I never would have thought of it that way or I would have never seen it that way, right? And yet people still tend to believe that everyone's life is the way that my life is, Yeah. right? Even when we dig into and we start to go into all of the things that happen and you go, oh, you know, but (laughs) wow, you know, that's really interesting. So as you do your work, mm-hmm. what is the challenge? What is the biggest challenge that you've run into in doing this work? You know, uh, I, I would say that it's, you know, it's either fear or love. And I would say the challenge is fear, right? And, and the fear is of somehow there's not going to be a place for me, right? So when we talk about mm-hmm. diversifying the workforce, you know, we have white colleagues who are like, well, then that means I wouldn't have gotten a job. And I'm like, that's, that's not, that's not what it's saying. But what it, what it, what we're saying is how do we, how do we level the playing field? So for, for, for literally centuries, you know, the white folks have had the advantage of not having to compete with the rest of the, the rest of the population. right? Right. And unfortunately, that's part of that, that disease, that, that sickness that is happening, is that now that we're starting to see more equitable practices, now instead of, you know, competing against, you know, say, 
50% of the population. Now you're competing against 75% of the population. And this, this whole kind of, you know, Puritan work ethic that said, if I work hard, I'm going to get this, like this somehow belongs to me, or I'm entitled to this, is part, again, of that dis-ease dis of mm -hmm. the mind that says, well, I've worked hard and I was told that if I do this, I get this. Well, in the real world, that isn't how it works. It's like, I can work hard. And that, that was the lesson of my grandmother. So my grandmother was born 1912, Alabama, you know, in, in Jim Crow. Mm. And as, as she was bringing us up, it was like, you're going to have to work harder. You're going to have to be smarter. You're going to be, you have to gonna have to be more qualified, like everything she did. And she's like, and you're going to fail because people are not going to give you the opportunity. So you get your ass back up and you do it again. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was a message consistently. So the first time I apply for a job and I'm, you know, an internal position, you know, when I'm working in my district and I don't get it, I don't think that someone took my job. I actually was like, okay, so what do I got to do next time? So that next time, <laughs> I get it, right. But that's, that's a healthy approach, you know, that, but if I were to turn around and say, and just be in my feelings and be pissed off about not getting this job and she took my job, well, there, you begin to see how that toxicity begins develop within organizations, right? And then we begin competing against each other. And so my thing is, you know, at the end, I could see that, you know, this woman was the best choice for the job. And so I'm going to tap into her and see how she can mentor me so that when it's my turn, I am ready, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that those kinds of lessons are the lessons that we, all of us need to have in our, in our society so that we understand that, that, that competition for positions is normal. There's nothing guaranteed that's yours, but we've had a history of nepotism and discrimination that have actually convinced, you know, in general white folks that that these things belong to them and only them, right? And, right. and that we don't belong in this space. And so, you know, I, I'm laughing at the the excellence and, and, and I'm laughing in a happy, joyful way. You know, I'm seeing all these things on LinkedIn and things of, you know, these young black geniuses, you know, that, you know, getting into Yale at 12 and getting into, you know, doing all these things. And how much genius did we lose? Mm -hmm. There was no access. And so now that we've allowed space, we start to see where, how people can thrive and how people of color can participate and have something to offer. And this idea, if we can get it across, that we are better together. If you have my perspective and my genius combined with your perspective and your genius, it's only gonna, it's exponential what we can create. But this mm -hmm. idea that you would kind of subvert a whole group of people to not participate just means that we're losing out on what's what's possible, right? That the, yeah. everyone loses out on that possibility. So um, yeah, I, <laughs> that's yeah. all. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely. It's so true, though. Um, and I think that what you're talking about is something that, you know, we talk about when, I guess, in the entrepreneurial world, right? It's the scarcity mindset. It's that mindset that there's not enough for everyone. And so if we allow people, marginalized people who have been held down so that we can succeed to now succeed just like us, we're going to lose out right. when in reality, you know, what, what is it? It's not a pie, you know, it's not just, there aren't limited pieces. Right. It's just, you know, and, and, and research tells us also that exactly what you're talking about, the working together so much better together is really a real thing. It is a tangible, take it to the bank, literally thing. Yes. yes. Take it to the bank. It is. And they show organizations who have diversified, businesses that have diversified and brought in those those missing perspectives and brought, you know, brought in other uh, folks of color have found that it pays at the bank. Like actually they make more money, they're more profitable because they have more innovation, you know, and more creativity than they had when you've got kind of a limited perspective, right? And it's unfortunate that we have to talk about, you know, the the fiscal benefits. Right. For people right. to actually think about why they would want to do this. But that that lack mindset, that deficit mindset, that there's not enough, that scarcity mindset is is really part of why we continue to remain separated. You know, this this whole thing um, that people are talking about now, 
the replacement theory, right? And and that that white folks <laughs> are afraid to be that they're going to be replaced and, and become minorities. And and there's so much there to unpack, right? But the the first one that I think of is like, you know, we we you can't have uh, what is it discrimination if you don't have you know you can't have reverse discrimination if you don't have discrimination. So we've got people who won't acknowledge that discrimination exists, but they'll talk about reverse discrimination, right? right. It's, a, it's exactly the same thing. And, and so, yeah, I, it just, it just kind of blows my mind at, at our inability to think about really the larger impact and what that means. And so this idea of being replaced, you don't want to become a minority and yet it, you, because you see yourself as separate from who we are, right? Yes. Yes. And you really buy into this idea that the color of someone's skin is the is the the thing that tells you everything about them you really buy into this yes (laughs) what's interesting to me also is that when you look at the world population Mm -hmm. you look at the world population white people are a racial minority yeah yeah they yeah. are a racial minority. If you look at the size of Africa and the number of countries and the number of people there, you look at the size of China and the number of people there, and you look at, you know, you look at all these things and you go, they are a racial minority. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the back of their minds, they realize this and they're afraid that the majority is going to wake up to the fact that they are a majority and do unto them what they've done unto yeah. other people yeah but the but thing is that, that is not and and that you know over and over and i know there's there's some folks who would have it that way but what i truly find the majority is that folks of color folks who have been oppressed are not looking for revenge they're looking for equity they're yes included and if we could understand that that it is not about getting back at you for your the sins of your fathers it's really about how do we change you know the the circumstances now so that we can be included and thrive people want to just live and thrive and be able to thrive right but that that fear and that goes back to what we talked about in the very beginning which is that's why the history is so important right to understand where it's coming from and to understand because the more knowledge you have the more you can understand how you can how you can repair how you can fix this you know in the future but if you remain ignorant then then all you have is your fear your fear feeds you and and the fear is what we see all around us now feeding the hate you know the hate crimes the discourse Mm -hmm. i saw this crazy video this morning of you know a black man driving through a town and a white man jumps on his car hanging onto the and won't you know won't let him, doesn't want him there. And literally the guy's like, get off my car. And he's just hanging on, you know, just, and and for what, like, this is, that's for me is, is the disease of racism and discrimination. And what we're seeing now is the impact on white folks. Yes. We know the impact on people of color, but they never thought that that it would have an impact on them. And this, this is the impact on them right now this is one of them i don't want to say it is the one but that kind of i think that mental illness that that disease that fear to live in fear every day can you imagine right like that to, to just like to that yeah you're going to be replaced or you're going to not or you're not going to have something or you're going to lose something like could you imagine living in that fear every single day yes it it really it it, it really does kind of boggle the mind and it's just it's really about allowing yourself to look at or to hear. One of the things that I say all the time is, you know, as we try to do this work, no one have I ever heard doing DEI work said, you are the problem. You made this happen. This is you, 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 Martha, Betty, Bob, you you did this, right? No one. It's always about saying, so let's take a look at this. Yesterday, I was having a conversation with with some people and they were saying how it's really interesting that we look at communities of color and we see a lot of uh, cancers coming coming into communities of color. And then I said, well, the reason we need to, the, the reason that that may be and we need to look at it is because 
of the corralling of people of color into certain areas. And how did that come about? That came about because of redlining. And how did redlining come about? Because the government decided that we're going to make these properties of value for white people and we're going to use the, the, the lesser materials and, and things for people of color. Then when it comes time to where are we going to put the, uh, the electric poles or wires? Oh, we're going to put them in, in the marginalized communities. Oh, where are we going to put the, 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 the city dump? Or Oh, well, we're going to put it over here next to the marginalized communities because over there is not as important as over here. So now we get to today and we're going, why is there so much more, you know, high blood pressure, this, that, and the other in the marginalized communities? Yes. If we don't look at that history, if we don't look back and see what the motivations were, if we don't look back and see how things were put into place, we don't understand what is going on now. That's right. And in order to be able to make a change, now we have to look at that. Yeah. Right. So you cannot stand here and say, well, it's just because, you know, marginalized people just they just eat wrong and they just do this and it's their fault. And this. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I do. Um, so I, I train teachers. I started off training teachers primarily and I would talk about redlining. And do you know that I would say 95 percent of the room had no idea what red redlining was? Right. And, and I'm like, but you're educators and you're teaching our children. So, and this is it. So we're all products of the education system. We've come from. Yes. We have, we, our education system has opted out of teaching the truth. You know, someone mm. who recently passed away, wrote a book, you know, decades ago called the lies my teacher told me. And basically he, I have that book. <laughs> yes. It's awesome. You know, he deconstructs uh, like five top texts that are used throughout the United States for all the lies that are printed in them. So we are printing lies and teaching lies. And so the teachers are learning lies when they're in school and they're perpetuating. So we begin to see how this becomes perpetuated throughout over time, over time, because we, and we don't know our history. So when I talk about redlining or when I hear someone say, well, you know, why aren't there, you know, you're an excellent educator. Why, you know, why aren't there more black educators, you know, because they're just not interested in school. And I'm like, let's talk about, let's talk about Brown versus Board of Education. And let's talk about what the desegregation of schools did for an entire black teaching population that used to have jobs because it used to be the only occupation that they could have. Right. And then you take it away because you're busing all our black children into white schools and white communities. And so now you've destroyed an entire profession. And that was only in the 60s. And so what do you think was going to be the outcome of losing literally thousands and thousands of teachers? Yeah. Right. And so now we say blacks, you know, black people aren't interested in education without knowing the history that says you destroyed our 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 funnel to appropriate and, and effective education for black people by taking them out. And if we had we done Brown versus Board differently and actually chose to integrate and yes. segregate, we would be in a very different place today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is why it's so important. You know, it's really interesting to me. Uh, one day I wanted, I, I, I did some I was going to do a podcast episode, solo podcast episode on a specific date. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what would be interesting? It would be really interesting to go back in history and see some of the things that happened in history mm -hmm. across the world. And I did a search and everything that came back was all European Western history. Yeah. I even put in African history on this date and very little came back. And I thought this, I would have never thought that this was the case mm -hmm. until I did the search yeah. and I go, so apparently there's no history in any other part of the world beyond the Western world that was valuable enough to put onto the, the internet. But then I thought about it and I realized that most history in other cultures is oral, mm -hmm. has been oral. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right. In the African tradition, it has been oral tra- oral history that has been passed down through through the through through the ages. Right. Even in Asian countries, oral history is very important. Right. And so I go. So all the information that we get is shaped by Western culture, which makes it practically impossible to truly understand the whole of society. Yeah, and, and so I and to take that a little further. So you know what's interesting is that you know so the internet um, has become this this thing, and you know we use Google, we use you know Yahoo, we use all this, but all these inter, in, engines are uh, are are white centric. So, right? Yes. So yes. there was this. Um, oh, and I'm, I'm I'm shameful that I can't remember his name, but he was an amazing educator. And one of the things he did for his kids was he he said, "I want you to do a report on the Vietnam War, right?" And so we're like, "Okay." And he's like, "But you need to you need to be able to talk from another perspective." So they're looking, you know, Vietnam War. They're doing all these Google searches, and they can't find any information. Very similar to you. And so his whole thing was you're looking in the wrong places. And then he says, you have to go to the, to Vietnam and look at their search engines and look at their things and get them translated. And so they they go and they find them the URL to do the search over there and they still can't find anything. And he's like, well, what are you looking for? He's like the Vietnam war. He's like, well, do you think that the Vietnamese call it the Vietnam war? <laughs> and, and they're like, Oh, so it's, it's, you know, so it's really a lesson on and so what they discover is that in Vietnam, it's called the American War of Aggression, mm. right? And so when you, and so again, perspectives, you know, for us, it's the Vietnam War. For them, it's the American War of Aggression. And so when you start looking for that, using other search engines that are not kind of like our history books, stockpiled with the information that they want us to find, mm. then you begin to get different information. And, and, but you have to know how, and it's not easy. And you have to know how to do it. So his whole thing was, how do I teach my students to actually look beyond what's right in front of us? So if you really want to have that information, you got to leave Google. Like you got to leave, you got to leave these because all they're going to do is feed you more of the same, which is why you couldn't get a diverse, you know, diverse answer to what happened on this day in history. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, and if you don't ask these questions, you don't have these conversations, you don't learn these. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I wouldn't know. I mean, for me, I do the same thing. I'm searching. I'm like, why am I, you know, I'm searching for, you know, I do a Google search and I'm like, you know, I'm trying to get some clip art and I'm like, you know, and I, and I, you know know what I'm going to say. We do these things and it's like, you know, model student you know i'm using words and it's all white and boys so you begin to see the misogyny you begin to see i mean like all the sexism the the racism the discrimination of of who gets to be who and what in our country you know absolutely you know and you and you have to look at it with a critical eye all the time like you really do have to look at it that way yeah if you put if you search for happy people yeah yeah, same thing. It seems that there are no black, no Asian, no indigenous, no happy people of color. People yeah. of color are not happy. But if you put in something like downtrodden or something like poor or something, you know, if you put in those words, now all of a sudden you get yeah. an, a confluence of yeah. color. And yeah. I go, and that's why, you know, I think sometimes people are confused as to why we say that black joy is part of the revolution, because you don't see it. You think that we're all miserable because we talk about the things that we need to talk about. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is that I don't see, and 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 I say this all the time, my husband is white. Mm-hmm. And I say all the time, I, I've and I've been in all white spaces, and of course I've been in all black spaces, My I'm, I'm Haitian descent. Mm-hmm. So I'm large Caribbean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. community and all of that. The joy that black people exude mm-hmm. does not 
exist yeah. in the white community. Yeah, no, it does not. You know, Dr. Goldie Muhammad talks about, she's like, why do we start our black history with slavery? She goes, we must start with excellence, with the black excellence. Like our history did not begin with slavery. And that point yes. will always stick with me about the stories that we choose to tell about people that keep us in this box. She's like, start with our joy, start with our excellence. We were people before we were slaves, you know? And oh. so, um, yeah, she's powerful um, and really, you know, working in the education realm to, 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 to reframe and shift that paradigm about what people believe and that, you know, that's that implicit bias piece. It's like people aren't even aware of how influence and impact that they have been by the media that surrounds them. Yes. Yeah. So if you take just that small idea that we were people before we were enslaved, yeah. right? And you look at what was happening in those countries that were then invaded, right, by the colonizers, right? right? There are pyramids. Mm -hmm. There is the Taj Mahal. There are, I mean, there are so many amazing things there. Mathematics yeah. started in that part of the world, right? Sciences were, you know, discovered and worked through in that part of the world. But what happens is, so now you come to, to the Western world and they go, they pilfer, they've taken, and now there's theories that the aliens came down and built the pyramids because how can black people do it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that's, that's crazy. I mean, when you think about it, but I think, you know, when I say that, I don't say it lightly because I think that the way we've chosen to live has been a crazy making machine and it has made, it has, um, you know, it has, it is, it's challenging our humanity right now. You know, we are, and, yes. and, um, and that, that ignorance is no, is no longer bliss. It can no longer be bliss. And, and every day that we see mass shootings, every day that we see, you know, just the, this divisive language and, and, and this, this really disrespect and disregard for each other as human beings that we can't even acknowledge the fundamental sameness of us being human beings. The fact that we can't see beyond our noses to what that impact is going to be long-term. Is, is, is disturbing and scary. It is, it is. I often ask, I often say, or I often ask the question, I always say, you know, is the reason that you don't do something because you don't think that it impacts you? Mm -hmm. Or is the reason that you don't do something is because you don't think it will ever affect you? Like, you know, you put these things, you, you put these rules or you put these ideas into play thinking, well, it's going to be just for them. It's never going to affect me. And mm -hmm. then when it proliferates and it does affect you now, all of a sudden, oh my God. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, a good example of that is, uh, is, is the, uh, the war on drugs, the drugs. Yeah. It's a, it's a clear, you know, first you're like, oh, well, it's just those people over there. So we're going to put them in jail. We're going to, we're going to vilify their, uh, their addiction, we're going to vilify their disease. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to us, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, but it's a disease. And what are we going to do about it? And we need to do something. Yeah. About yes, yes. It's a very, but the, and that's, you know, that's, those are the intricacies, you know, when people are so anti, like critical race theory right now. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> critical race theory is a theory to explain some of those phenomenon that we have been talking about and to explain how, it, you know, when it's a black problem, it's it's a criminal offense, and when it's a white problem, it's 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 a medical condition, right? And and really understanding how those how race has played a role throughout history, and and how we have approached issues and dealt with issues. You know, when AIDS was a a, a gay issue. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, no, you know, they, there was not much done with it, but when it began impacting, you know everyone and, and and you know whether you were gay or heterosexual you know all of a sudden it's you know it's impacted you but they what do they say there you know there was a quote gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher everything today and i apologize <laughs> but, um there's a it's a it's a quote loosely quoted that says 
you know, I didn't, you know, when they came for them, I did nothing. And then they came for me. Right. And yes. so this idea that we, we, we still believe we're separate and we still believe it's, it's happening to them. So it's okay. But when it, you know, when it comes to you it, it, and it will, I mean, and that's, it, a piece. Will. it will. Right. And so, and, and why do we have to get to that point? You know, where we right. have senseless loss of any life, white life, black life, brown life, any life. Why is it? Why do we have to get to that point? Why is it that once it begins, we don't nip it in the bud and say, oh, no, 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 this is not acceptable. And so we need to really take a look at this and do something about it now. Right. Clip it so yes. that we can move on and say, no, we're protecting all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But but we have such a long way to go for that to be the case. Yeah. Right? yeah. It does. It feel sometimes it gets, you know, there's days that I wake up and I'm, I'm just, I'm fatigued. I'm tired, yes. um, but I have to get up, you know, and I, I, I think yes. about and my grandmother, 1912 and, you know, and our ancestors before her and everything she did so that, you know, my sister and I were the first to go to college in my family and our family and, um, you know, the sacrifices that they made so that we could be here. So I don't, I don't get to be tired, you know, and if I am, I don't get to be, I don't get to stay tired. Let's put it that way. <laughs> we don't get to stay tired. <laughs> I can be tired, but I don't get to stay tired. So yes. Yeah. And you know, and there's sometimes, you know, that, that I, when I, that I think, ah, oh, what good does this do? right what good does my little tiny voice do and then i have to get out of that mind space and i have to say well if we all took our two little tiny voices and put them together then something is is happening and i feel that that something is brewing yeah. something is happening I right it. i have to believe it you know what yes a way for me to move forward so i have to believe that and and i have to believe that i can be a part of that solution you know i'm not the solution for sure but i i'm definitely going to be a part of it because it is it is my passion it yes is my work so yeah yeah and we have to be a part of it together yeah. right uh for me i'm i'm constantly looking to amplify voices like yours and amplify voices of others who are doing something even if i feel like they're saying the same things that i say i'm like you know what somebody's going to resonate with their voice and yeah. someone's going to resonate with my voice therefore let's all let's it's just we just need the voices we need as many voices as possible to say this is what's happening and we really need more people to understand that this is what's happening and why it's happening and how we can move forward mm -hmm. right and like you said we move forward with having conversations going through the hard things and using compassion along the way to so that we are all aware of our humanity and that we're doing this for humanity right mm -hmm. we're doing it for humanity and we can't leave any part of that humanity behind if that's what we're doing for. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. We can't leave any of it behind. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about that we haven't talked about today? I think we've talked about a lot. <laughs> we've talked about a lot. I mean, it, it, it's been a wonderful conversation, you know. I, I just like to leave with that. I, you know, I think, like you said, going back to this notion of compassion and, you know, the protocol I create, it was really um, a tool, not the tool, right, but a tool to really help us start to connect with one another. And we have to get beyond the color line. We have to look at each other and see each other as whole um, mm -hmm. and complete and perfect exactly as we are. Right. Yeah. And, and, and find that that common ground that similarity and build off that instead of what we perceive to be different about each other yes absolutely and just to be very clear because some people might take that wrong we're not saying that we don't see color what we're saying is that we see people for exactly who they are and what their lived experiences are and that is different for each person absolutely. And so we have to we have to see that yeah. And when I meant the color line, I mean, I think that, the you know, we just look at color and we separate, you know, yes. I'm just going to, and so I'm saying is that getting beyond that color line and saying that we all, and yes. so 
early on. And so thank you for pointing that out because I'll be there. There is no color. You know, too. <laughs> Believe me, fully aware. There is no colorblindness and we're not, we're not even pushing that. The idea is that we want to see color, but we have to redefine what it means that when I see you as a black woman, that that isn't somehow that uh, your deficit, I don't somehow come to you yes. as less than. So we have to, we have to change our definition of white, of black, of, you know, of Latino, of what, you know, of everything. <laughs> And really allow people like to just show up whole and perfect as they are and change those definitions. But I you, I want you to see my blackness. And I want to, I want yes. to see whiteness, but the whiteness is not the whiteness of, of the white privilegedness. It's the whiteness of, of what you bring and the history that comes with you and your family in that way. And acknowledging that as opposed to every time we, we won't even say these words because they have a negative connotation to them because we haven't evolved them right to really yeah. let them be like it is a descriptor it is it, it but it does it's it's a physical descriptor it is not a definer yes yes yeah. absolutely absolutely oh my goodness thank you so much and you know it's before i let you go we need to end on the note of what nancy is your favorite dish all right so i it's not going to be a dish well can i give okay. you can I give you two, Sadie? Because well, here, yes. My my favorite my favorite meal will always be sushi, right? And I, yeah. And, yeah I mean, like, <laughs> it's 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 gotta be right because every day, every, it could be every day. Um, but my favorite dish will bring me back to my grandma, and it is, and it's about comfort, and so it's it's got to be, um, uh, peach cobbler. <laughs> You know, I love like, peach cobbler. I smell peach cobbler and it it just takes me home. It takes me yeah. to my family. So if I have to think of a dish, it would be that. That's that's family to me, right? That's home, that's comfort. Um, but if I'm same meal, it's gotta be it's gotta be sushi. I love it. I love them both. I'll have them both with you. We can yes. start with the sushi and finish with the cobbler. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Nancy Dawn, for being here on Diversity Dish. It has been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed our time. Hey, did you enjoy that episode? If so, please leave a review. It would mean the world, but only if it's a good one and you really did enjoy it. In which case, it would be awesome if you help support my work over at Patreon com backslash Cedrola Maruska. And finally, before you go, don't forget diversitydish.com. I'd love to work with you. See you soon.